Hello and welcome to this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Today we're going to be diving back in time to the year we were born, 1984. It's a great year because it was the year we were all born. Um, and we're going to review Amadeus. And then we Oscar were going to follow it up with, I'm sure, uh, glowing praise of the Oscar nominations. Are we going to appall you with something confidential and disgusting? Let's hope so, because that is what you really like. Unconfessed crimes of buried wickedness. If that is what brings you to us, the prospect of hearing horrors, you shall not go unrewarded. I don't believe it. The whole city is talking. You hear it all over. What a story. What a scandal. What a comedy. What a tragedy. Incredible. I don't believe it. Who can believe it? What horrors have you heard? Tell us. Tell us. Tell us at once. Tell us about Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> How good is he, this Mozart? He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. He is divinely inspired. He is arrogant, vulgar, obscene. He creates music for the gods. He is passionate. He burns with fire. He is an angel. He is a devil. He claimed he'd been poisoned. Some said he accused a man. Some said the man was Salieri. Salieri? Salieri. I don't believe it. All the same. Could it be possible? Did Salieri do it after all? Did he? All right, guys. So we are starting a new series here on the Get Your Film Fix podcast. It's called The Great Movie Series. It's an excuse for us to go back and watch some films that are sort of universally acclaimed as great movies, some of which we probably frequently watch and some of which we probably haven't watched for years. I know for me, Amadeus is a movie I loved, loved back in college, but probably have not seen it since then. I know both of you have seen the movie previous to this viewing. I'm not quite sure when, and we can get into that. Um, but I think my opening question is going to have to do with that theme of greatness, because it is a theme that you see here in the film Amadeus. Uh, Mozart, universally uh, proclaimed one of the greatest um, composers ever. And... Uh, Sorry. Beethoven. Chopin. Generally considered to be the best. Yeah. Chopin. My question is, though. Vivaldi. What, what, what can we learn Bach. from the importance of greatness in art? Or more importantly, when it comes to Amadeus, what can we learn from the importance of mediocrity? Shoot. Deep question. Supposed to be like... Uh, well, I don't really know what you mean, Jeremy. Maybe you should uh, rephrase that a little bit. I, but I do... I mean, I guess what immediately I go to, I I, uh, I think this is like a, a, a very... 
All right, let me let me rephrase it because like I, my question really involves like what are what as a filmmaker so Milos Forman the director here has the task of taking um somebody who everyone knows and everyone considers just amazing at their craft and what can he show us with this person through through this film that we as an audience, a modern audience, can learn something. Does and does he accomplish that? Definitely. Uh, I mean, I think this is like the 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 signature and and maybe really only movie that deals with not necessarily jealousy, but that whatever we, whatever the word is for the you know the grass is always greener. You know, peering over and seeing everything your neighbor has instead of you you know like salieri he's the rich guy seemingly like he's he's surrounded by sweets he loves sweets he um, has the power he has more power than he's amadeus he's got has tons tons of, <laughs> he's got tons of of power and um but he is envious of mozart's talent and i think well one thing that's interesting about this movie is that I mean, everybody likes Mozart and thinks he's talented, but really, at least the way the film tells the story, and we should talk about that because this movie is sort of not at all true, not that it matters, but um, that really the only person who knows really truly how talented Mozart is, is the one who is so envious of that talent and the person who wants to bring him down and destroy him is the only one who really knows like what a waste this seemingly what a waste this ludicrous human being is. Well, I hate to do this, Jeremy, but I think the heart of your question is really, does this movie work as a biopic? No, see, that's what I wanted because to avoid. I, I literally I know. thought, what, like, I just <laughs> want to avoid the whole biopic thing. I don't want but to... That's, but that's what you're asking. You're asking the same question that I was critical of last week in that how how does this movie... How, how are we able to learn something more about Mozart, somebody that we know is a great composer? That's what it's asking. No, I don't think and, so. I don't think it's asking that. No, that's what Jeremy's asking. Oh. That's what Jeremy's at. He's saying, what is this? How no, is this I'm more asking to... about the themes of it, though. I'm asking about how it's portraying this idea of greatness, of envy, of mediocrity through the life of Mozart. But okay. Like that's right. well, and that's what it that's what it does, and that's that's the brilliance of this movie to me. And and where I was going with that is that you are Milish Foreman is tasked with having to teach us something about Mozart, to portray something about Mozart. So what does he do? Does he focus on specific operas? Does he focus on his childhood? Does he go birth to death? You know, what's the best way to tell the story about Mozart? And what he does is he does he tells this story of Salieri about jealousy and obsession and envy. And through that, we see Mozart through Salieri's eyes. Right, and, this is Salieri's story. It's not and, Mozart's story. And that's, exactly. And that, I think, is what makes it work. Because if on this, if you look at this, this is a formulaic biopic. It's birth to death. It's, it, it's trying to teach us something more about a famous person. But it does so in such a, such a clever fashion by putting us in Salieri's shoes and letting us learn about him 
and understanding why he's jealous of Mozart. And through that, we're learning a lot about Mozart. And it's actually really, really smart. And you get such a great performance from F. Murray Abraham. I'm not going to, I don't want to jump ahead, but I think that's just a, you know, we're, uh, we were talking last week about what is the, what's the answer for the biopic. And this is, a, this is one way. And you can't necessarily replicate this every time. But we learn so much about why Salieri is jealous and why he is obsessed with Mozart and why he's uh, guilty, uh, uh, why he feels guilty about what happened and why he's so full of regret uh, in his older in his older years. And it's these flashbacks that we see give us the biopic on Mozart. And I think it's brilliant. I think it works so well. Yeah, and and like I mean, I I wrestled with the question of, hey Lee, how does this work for your biopics? But I, I know really it's a boring question, but I didn't want to go into that because I wanted this to be more about its thematic element. But basically, what you're saying is its thematic elements overshadow any biopic elements in it. Yeah, in a way, it's essentially those the. So you had said something about. Uh, when trying to define a biopic last week at the beginning of the podcast that I thought was, that I thought was pretty, um, pretty astute in that a movie when, when the theme is the more important is more important than the character. So something like raging bull, you know, the themes of that movie are, you know, rage and jealousy and things like that more so than just Jake LaMotta. But, you know, uh, Ali is, more focused on the character of Muhammad Ali than the themes that are sprinkled in. So here you kind of follow that idea that the themes are more important, but at the same time, this is a biopic, but they're using those themes. Whose biopic is it? I think it's Mozart's, but I just think it's told through. Mozart's Mozart's the one from sort of early childhood to death. Right. But but you, but you only get flashbacks of him because Salieri tells the priest about it. So it's like he and was he, and because he's he was a he's genius. obsessed with him. Yeah. He was a genius when he was a child when I was just and and those moments aren't any longer than Salieri's moments. They just are more impactful. You're you're just seeing him tinkling away at the little whatever that thing was called. Um, I like how you call it tinkling. Well, he, you know, he's tinkling <laughs> and uh, uh <laughs> and and but then you see Salieri having kind of a normal childhood and you know and Wishing for his father to die, and uh, <laughs> but I, I don't. Yeah. I, I honestly, I do not think this is a biopic. I really I mean, don't. I think a hundred percent it is, but I don't want to get bio- bogged down on that argument. Let's nor do I want to talk. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about this as a biopic. The whole podcast, either. I just think, in trying to avoid asking about it in your opening question, Jeremy, you were making the exact point that I wanted to make in in praising it as a biopic as a good biopic. Okay, well, let's get back. Let's let's try to avoid saying biopic anymore this episode. <laughs> this and <year>. let's <laughs> let's talk about the why this movie and I think we can all agree it's successful, all right? But we and we can get into the varying degrees of how successful it is. But it's a universe like the fact it's so universal. I think is what makes it so successful and it deals with a concept that is both like super interesting 
to put in film, but also I think something that sort of tickles all our emotions and this idea that of watching somebody just be naturally great and and then also watching somebody struggle to try and keep up. And I don't know what it is about that, but there is something, I mean, those scenes when, you know, like uh, Mozart comes in and plays the piece that the emperor just played that, that, uh, that Salieri's um, had written and he heard, right, and then he just heard like mm-hmm. yeah, one second later and and just the ease at which he is able to uh, uh, do what he does. I think there's something super uh, satisfying about watching those scenes. Yeah, there's a. Well, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Lee. Well, I just think what. It, the juxtaposition between Salieri and Mozart, it, I think, is what makes a lot of that work too. Is that, you know, Mozart's such a goofball. He doesn't take anything seriously. He, he takes his but he's so seriously. natural. He's so naturally talented. Yeah, he takes his work seriously. But when he's around other people, he's, you know, goofing off. He's not. He's not living up to the to the expectations that they have, uh, uh, in in these you know regal places. Meanwhile. Salieri takes everything seriously and like does everything by the book and feels like that's the way it's supposed to be done. So he should be more recognized for that as well. And I think that juxtaposition is a lot of what makes that work too, because you don't need to hear from Salieri in his confession how how jealous he gets of Mozart. You see it. You see it in that scene that you described when he starts playing that song and is just kind of goofing off, and then he's making it he's suggesting that he's like oh why don't i change this to make it better you can just you can feel for salieri there that's obnoxious well this guy comes in here and does this yeah yeah he is crude and crass but i i think what really gets to salieri is that he knows mozart is more talented than he is he knows that he's this genius and and i think it takes somebody of like Salieri's intelligence and musical background. And, and you know, he doesn't, he like, he's admitted, he, he admits to the priest. He's not naturally gifted the way Mozart is. I mean, he's probably, he knows more about music than we do. I'm sure. And I'm sure he's a, he's a talented, big for yourself, mate. He's a talented and, composer, but he knows Mozart is a talent that will, you know, as he has, um, define a generation and, and, and last for millennia. And, and, that is what really eats at him. It's not that like, I mean, I'm sure it's annoying that he's rude and mm-hmm. crude and doesn't fit in, but I don't think that bothers Salieri. It's really just that talent. And he uses the crudeness as a tool to inhibit um, Mozart. And to me, like, you know, and I'm sure you may, I don't know if you guys feel the same way too but like you know when you're in when you work in like a creative field or you you know go to film school or you see a, like there are people like this people who are just very gifted and who you know like I, I think I'm thinking of Quentin Tarantino as a just like just just a born filmmaker there are people with this kind of talent and they often get a lot of hatred towards them because of their because of their sort of natural gifts and I think what is so genius and what, what watching this, you know, I always think about like the wigs and the, you know, the costumes and the imagery. And I, I love Tom Hulse's performance and his laugh is just so distinctive mm. here. But I, what I really identified with on this go around was that 
jealousy of Salieri and that resentment and how powerful that can be and how this film is really just like the poster child for that emotion. Yeah, and I think this film also tries to go into the mediocrity aspect of it, which on on this go around was harder for me to buy. Like, I mean, I think even at the end, he says something to like, I am their king. I'm the king of mediocrity, I whatever. Yes. Which in reality is, is, is not true. Like, he clearly was a very, I mean, we're talking about maybe one of the top, uh, composers of his day, one of the top five, six composers of his day. I mean, people still know him hundreds of years later. It's just about, so for him to think that, you know, he's mediocre after dealing, after having seen the gifts that Mozart has, um, I think, I think it just goes to that point of jealousy. Like, I think, because I remember when I first watched it, I, I loved that concept of, of just being, you know, him him being mediocre and just no matter what he could do he could never be Mozart but I don't think that's really the case I think he's probably well gifted at what he does he yeah, think- just he just can't rise to the talent level that that Mozart is and I think another layer that this movie adds into it that I think is it's pretty brilliant is it's basically the divinity aspect of it mm-hmm. and him yeah. saying, you know, he's gifted by God instead of just saying naturally talented. He's, he literally puts God as the reasoning, uh, uh, like God specifically said, I'm going to play the greatest music I uh, that humans could ever hear in my vessel to do it is going to be this guy. And I think that also really eats at him as a religious man. And I think that aspect of it added another layer that I didn't remember before. Yeah, and it's the self-doubt. I mean, there's such a interesting psychological aspect to this movie in the way that you see Salieri deteriorate due to all of these emotions, the jealousy, the self-doubt, and all these things. And I and I think the, the religious aspect has a lot to do with it. I mean, any just in, in many movies and in life, you know, you, you hear stories about people who believe in God and then something starts to happen where they start to doubt that belief. And this is sort of a a, a version of that. Like he believes that he was put on this earth to play the best music ever. And then he's put basically in the same room consistently with somebody who is just so clearly better than him that he begins to doubt like everything. And that's an amazing character, and that's what really makes this movie interesting. And like I said at the top, it's like that's what this movie is about, and it's what makes this movie able to tell the Mozart story without being formulaic and boring. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He does. That's an interesting point of view. Like a lot of people lose their faith, but he doesn't. He just he just doesn't understand why he thinks God is responsible for his misfortune when he dedicated himself to God in a, an exchange in his mind for talent or, or what he imagined at the time was talent. Yeah. And, and you guys didn't really address this aspect, but I, I think like, like I said, and, and weirdly, I think it partly the reason Hamilton was such a success is, this concept of just somebody uh, of working hard and somebody being that much better than you naturally 
is very is a very enticing story for some reason for human beings and i I don't entirely know what that reasoning is but um i think that that i think that that's a big reason this movie is well i think considered great it lends itself to the the emotion of jealousy which i think you can just take in so many different directions and has been used in storytelling since shakespeare so i think that's, sure. It's just such a. It's such a. But when you whittle, it's what such I'm a saying is when you have. whittle it down to two people. In this case, two men. Also, in the case of Hamilton, two men. But when you whittle it down to that, it just becomes so dynamic and powerful, and yeah. it's just great classic storytelling. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it just it hits things on sort of three different levels. One, there's what you just described, Jeremy. Two, it's it's this like opulent time that just looks great on screen, right? It's like these wigs, these beautiful costumes. It's like there's this decadent food. It's it just it's just a, t- a very visually rich time period to 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 represent. And then third, um it's 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 still it it still feels foreign. So what I think is genius about what um Foreman does is that he's able to so you've got this environment that feels that is like different than ours but he also just makes it so approachable and normal and I think part of that is I was reading some things about the casting for Mozart and that Kenneth Branagh was up for the role and he decided uh, Milos Foreman decided to make all the main characters American which is smart because like we've talked about and Lee I, I know you have opinions of this that I don't really understand but like you know if we were, if everybody was doing Austrian accents, that wouldn't work. They'd all sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger. But now he's like, he's decided everybody's going to be have an American accent, so it's going to be very approachable for us. Like these are these people sound like we would we would think they sound. And I've talked about this before with, you know, how that doesn't really work in uh, uh, Schindler's List, for example. But um, so it's sort of these three things that that he's able to capitalize on, and I think. That's what make this makes this movie so genius to me. So I was thinking about we obviously were talking about the Oscars because the nominations came out, and this kind of occurred because I was I those came out yesterday and I watched this yesterday and I was thinking about this as I was watching it and I don't know if you guys ever noticed this and I know it changes from time to time but the the wording of a lot of the the categories for the Oscars are our best achievement in directing, best achievement in cinematography. Yeah. And I was thinking about that while I was watching this movie because I was, of course, thinking this movie won eight Oscars. I was like, okay, is this movie going to be worthy of the eight Oscars it won? And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, okay, if that language was the same in 1984, then 100% absolutely this is the best achievement in directing, best achievement in costume design, achievement in production design because this movie is an amazing achievement from start to finish. I mean, it is a three hour long uh, movie about a famous person since we're not (laughs) using the term biopic. Um, (laughs) And it's, it's kind of epic. And every scene looks expensive, but also meticulously planned and shot. And like you mentioned, Chapin, it like adds to this very like opulent experience as watching this movie and then you throw Mozart music over the top of most of it. And, and this movie is operatic. And I think that's incredible. Like that's what's on top of the things that we've been talking about, the themes that are just, you know, so striking and, and so easy to kind of connect to and find, you know, 
find you know uh, excitement behind with each character this movie is so extraordinarily made but can i say those scenes also though they never feel like they're showing off they never feel like they're grand for grand sakes like there is something important about seeing those scenes they're authentic but there is a there is an emotional and um there's like a character there's the all that stuff is important from an emotional and a character point of view. Like you're never watching this just to see it. It's never staged just to see it. It's like, Oh, this is what Salieri is seeing. Oh, this is Mozart about to collapse. Oh, this is, um, this is him playing the piano to a certain song. And, um, I like that. Like I, even, I I'm thinking about that scene where, Bill the Butcher gets shot in Gangs of New York where they're at a performance like this. And even that just felt like, like in comparison, feels long. And That's so funny you thought of Gangs of New York. I had the same thought because, like, everything looks like it just was, like, you, they, Scorsese just, like, lavishly spent money in Gangs of New York. Yeah. It's, like, the, it's not that it doesn't look authentic, but it looks like big, expensive stages. Like, and here it looks very authentic and very in place. And it's yeah, I had the kind of I I had the the when Leo gets off the the ship at the beginning of Gangs and it's just like hundreds of extras and like this this very busy scene and it just looks expensive, but doesn't really bring you into the movie the same way that Amadeus does. No, it's a show off shot that one. It's yeah. one long kind of. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever get taken out of this film? I mean, everything you described is is 100% true, but did any of the the fact that these are all Americans with an American accent and maybe even the fact you're like, oh, there's the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off or there's the guy from Animal House, did any of that ever take you out and, and be like, okay, this is well, a bunch Jeff- of Americans dropped Jeffrey Jones in. is canceled now, right? Like seriously canceled? Well, he's he was in the Deadwood movie, so I think he's back. <laughs> <laughs> not canceled th- I think I thought he was like really canceled. I thought he was too like, but um but that that aspect took me out of it the accents didn't like my my issue with accents is is what you kind of mentioned when you pretend to have one when if you're gonna pretend if you're gonna have an Austrian accent then just speak the language but they just speak English here and this is that's fine um I you know, Chapin, you like Tom Hulse in this movie. I have to say there were times where I was taken out of the movie by his performance. I didn't love it. Really? I like I like the laugh. I think that works really well. There's just some scenes where I felt like he wasn't a great actor. I mean, I remember I told I was telling Jeremy about this right before we went on air. I remember the first time I saw this and I was wondering what the guy from Animal House was doing in this, you know, prestigious movie. And you know, I just I think he will always be Larry Kroger to me, so that doesn't help. Um, so I'm I'm a little with you, Lee. Uh, um, every once in a while, I, I I would be taken out of the the movie by his performance. I think overall, though, I think it's a pretty great performance. I think Elizabeth uh, Barrage, who plays his wife, She's on the got other some hand, bizarre she, energy. She that was I wasn't that crazy was, about her. But that was bizarre casting. That was really weird casting to me. It just was. I just felt like all of a sudden this this young woman from maybe like New York 
city all of a sudden showed. I don't know. It just felt Kevin it felt out wife. of place. Um, so really? there were. Mm-hmm. I'm starting it. There were some performances that just didn't completely work for me here. Um, and even even, I mean, I think I think uh, uh, F. Murray Abraham was amazing in it, but weirdly, his age bugged me a little bit. He just seemed too old for what I, I, he was, I, or having. He was a, a, a revelation in this to me. Like I always knew he was good in this, but I was, I was stunned by his performance in this. I also thought the old man makeup amazing. was really good. Amazing. I think that was the best part, the I, best part uh, of his performance. I have to disagree with you. I liked Elizabeth Berridge. I thought her energy was strange, so I can understand why you reacted to her, but I really liked how we looked at her. Her performance felt modern. I mean, I think what, like all this stuff adds up to Tom Holtz, Elizabeth Berridge. I, think, I, I don't think um, F. Murray Abraham contributes to this, but I, although I like him. Um, but like a sense of modern modernism, like kind of what we experience with yeah, yeah. little women, you know, like, and, and the, um, the, uh, what's his name who we love? The uh, Timothy, Timothy, Chal- Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet effect. Just, uh, supposedly it's actually Timothy is Timothy, how you really say yeah. his name. Um, but his, his, what he brought to that movie was just a, a, a feeling of, of modernism that was completely appropriate for the movie that we were watching. And I feel the same with, with those two characters specifically that they, you know, you, you are supposed to relate to Mozart. You're supposed to sympathize with him. You're supposed to sympathize with Elizabeth Berridge's character. And that modern energy really worked. I think for me, at least I've always liked them. I, I, yeah, I didn't. So yeah, they were sort of, they're kind of came and went for me. Like they were stretches where I thought they were both good. And then there were scenes or like, bits of scenes where I felt like they weren't. So it was never an issue where I thought that they were hurting the movie. And I like the point you make about it being kind of a modern performance, but that that felt inconsistent with the movie because this movie felt very period-specific to me everywhere else. Um, I guess with the exception of them all just being Americans. Um, did you guys... So this is... So how did you guys feel about the running time of this movie? Let's get let's get into the negatives. I mean, we have a lot of positives. What were the negatives? Where was the running time one of them for you, Lee? So it it did not feel too long aside from the occasional opera scene. Right. That I, I felt think, like just dragged. Well, I'm a little bummed that there's not the uh theatrical version available f- from what I've heard that that's the better version than the director Mm. version. Yeah, most people say that that is the more watchable, less bloated version of this movie. And my guess where they took some stuff out is some of those opera scenes. Because there's a significant amount. This one is 20 minutes longer for reference. Yeah. Yeah. There's a significant amount of of opera scenes. Yeah, I, uh, I agree that could have been cut for sure. And that's an opera so interesting too because there was one, one of the operas that uh, towards the beginning I turned the subtitles on just because I was kind of curious because you can't understand what they're singing so you I can't it, sometimes it's in a different language but even when it's in English you can't under, really understand it so that just makes it even more difficult to sustain a five minute long scene of him conducting an opera which is interesting because in real opera they have subtitles when you go to an opera I know there are there you know is that like a, there's like a yeah, yeah. there's like a 
subtitle. You wear these. Even, you wear glasses. Even in English, read it. Yeah. What, what you, Google Glass. Yeah, they've just had them for on. hundreds of years. Oh, that's pretty these cool. Special glasses that you wear. I did wonder that about opera. Like going, I'm like, God, if I ever go to an opera, like, how do people know what's going on? Well, I, they, they won't let you, they won't let you in. Don't worry. Yeah, the only <laughs> opera I've been to was Porgy and Bess, which is in English, but they do have like what's a it called Porgy Porgies? and Bess. Oh, Jeremy, you're gonna get in trouble from your wife. You don't know what Porgy and Bess is? It's the very famous opera. Anyways, sounds delicious. <laughs> I think it's about. T- sounds like a Looney Tune. I think it's about slavery. So okay. Um. So they and they have like a like a I mean if it's you know this was like twenty years ago so but they had like a little running kind of like ne not a neon sign but like almost like a ticker. Sorry, Ch- Chapin, you you were talking about the the George Gershwin opera. That's right. That, 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 that's right. I just, okay, that's George Gershwin born eighteen. Yeah, this is no. written by <laughs> Dubois, written by Dubois Hayward and uh, and lyricist Ira Gershwin. Yeah. Okay, go on. That's all I have to say. Adaptation of the 1925 novel, I believe. <laughs> so, do we have any other negatives for Amadeus? Or uh, so, running time probably should cut down on some of the operas. I, don't, I mean, I don't um, mind it. I love this movie, so I don't. I, I don't mind it being longer. How long ago has it been since you guys saw this movie? I haven't seen it since college, as I mentioned in the intro. That that may be it for me too. I oddly have very vivid memories. I know I've only seen this twice. And like you guys, first time was in college and I loved it. And then the second time, however many years ago that was, I remember not being as high on it. So I was very curious going into it this time. And I think I liked it for all sorts of different reasons this time around. Like, I'm sure I like, I'm sure, you know, the the relationship between Salieri and Mozart was always the big thing that I took away from it. But, and it still is, but I think just the like i said the achievement that this movie is was incredible i just was i mean i don't think of milos foreman as like a top tier director but if you look at his credits yeah he's like directed some he's, of the greatest movies he's exactly he's made some amazing movies but um, he's not a director we talk about a lot i love thinking about jeremy and i on like a f- saturday in february like buying a case of Miller Lite and 50 wigs and watching Amadeus together. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I wish we still had those wigs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so great movie then overall. I mean, it should it, Fantastic. it lived up to the hype. I, I so wanna, it's on the great movie list. I want to ask you guys. the great movie series list. First are, so shows. does Get Your Film Fixed allow it to stay on a great movie list, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, it stays. I think, I think we do. Uh, but I, I want to ask you guys where you think this, does this say anything about the Academy Awards at the time? I mean, it won. It should have won. Glad it won. But, um, you know, this was the year we were born. What else? Let's see. What what else was nominated? Yeah, so it, it's, I haven't seen any of the other actors that were nominated for leading role, F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hulse were both nominated. I haven't seen Jeff Bridges in Starman, Sam Watterson in The Killing Fields, or Albert Finney in Under the Volcano. Uh, the Best Picture nominees that year were... Uh, Killings Fields, Amadeus, Passage, India, Killing... Places in the Heart, and A Soldier Story, which, yeah, I don't think I've yeah. seen any of those. So, I mean, there's just not a lot of movies I'm real familiar with. Screenplay, Splash, Beverly Hills Cop, Places in the Heart, 
uh, Woody Broadway Danny Rose is a Woody Allen screenplay. I've never even heard of that movie. Um, a lot of these movies, like the obviously the Natural, I've heard of. Yeah, but not a lot of movies I've heard of, and I mean, so yeah, what an interesting year. Muppets Take Manhattan gets a nomination for best original score. You know what I think is best original song. Interesting about this year is um, that like Beverly Hills Cop is a hu- is the biggest movie of the year by a huge margin, and then Ghostbusters. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop, not a movie that we talk a lot about anymore, and seems a little strange. One of Glenn Close's many nominations was in 1984. Oh, fuck's sake. Okay, well, let's transition that into uh, 2021. Her, her, most, her most recent Oscar nomination for The Great Hillbilly Elegy. <laughs> wow. Well, I'm glad she was nominated and not Amy Adams. I mean, if you ha- I, I like that performance better. If you had to pick better, one, yeah. I guess. All right, so let's talk about the nominations. So, I mean, obviously we have a text chain going on, and there, as soon as these came out, there were some complaints many complaints going on and i just kept saying thank god for the fixies because so, why is it so hard for other people to get this right Japen. well i did want to say that the oscars announced this uh, of course you know everybody copies us you know hbo max decided that they're gonna you know we they, they listen to us so the obviously the academy listens to us too they're one of the 40 listeners um and they've decided to 40,000 ma- 40,000 go to 10 nominations now every year. So every year there will be 10 nominations, much like the Fisk- Fixies have done for the last two. Starting starting next year. Starting next year, because this year there's only eight. Yeah. Well, I'm not a huge advocate of that anyway. You know I sort of am opposed to that rule in the Fixies. But look, we, you know. Um, I was I just saying how the Fixies always get it right, and then Lisa's like, well, oh, we, well, I don't like it. I don't like how we do it. We we still have the ten nominations. I just I'm not, I'm not always on board with that. But that's beside the point. I we don't want to tip our hands too much here with our thoughts on the Oscar nominations. I mean, my my first reaction was that they were kind of predictable and safe. Um, yeah, but well, let's but let's let's take a step back for a second though. Let's take a step back. And when we were talking about, I mean, you've got Mank, Minari, Nomadland. And Sound of Metal are all like pretty indie movies that I think in another yeah. year might not have made this list. Well, I think that's true, and that is something I kind of suggested might be a possibility in in like I don't know in the fall or something. I pointed that out that like with the absence of a bunch of these bigger movies that got pushed, we might see people get nominated that wouldn't typically get nominated. Now, how you know? Uh, like first cow didn't get a single nomination. Yeah, not crazy about Kelly that. Reichard, who is you know a huge critical f- critics favorite, and um, I I don't I again I'm don't want to tip my hand too much, but Mank didn't get nominated for best screenplay. If you listen to the Mank screenplay uh, Mank podcast, you heard me call that the best screenplay since The Social Network. So you can probably put the pieces together on my feelings for that. Um, it got ten nominations, which I think is great, but maybe not the one that it deserved most. I, I just, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know, Chapin, you liked Borat, and I, we've all but seen that. Does, maybe maybe that'll Borat come up. How does Borat get a but, like, screenplay nomination? That's it what has I don't, a bunch. Like, it's just. It's not a written piece. It's, I mean, it is to an extent, but, like, in same, I, and I feel the same way about Nomadland, which it's a is comedy. a movie we all yeah. loved, but it's not about its writing that made that movie great. No. So I think it's just weird to have Nomadland and Borat as as screenplay as adapted screenplay nominations 
What's Nomadland what adapted from? Oh, it's a book, I guess. It's adapted from that guy's YouTube videos. I don't know. <laughs> Van life. <laughs> um, this is the thing is is that like like we we look at this and we tend to get very myopic on the details. Like, oh, they left out this person. They left out that person. But overall, I think you got to give this. This is this is a a different year, and I think. I mean, yeah, it is hard not to be disappointed, though. I think it's just, I think what's frustrating is not necessarily always what's left out, but what's in its place. Okay, so, like, that's, that's I, fair, I, I guess. But And I don't have a specific example, but I'm looking at, like, best achievement in, in music, so best original song. And some song from Eurovision Song Contest, the Song of Fire Saga with Will Ferrell, is nominated for an Oscar. You're telling me there's not a better song than that? Or they can't just nominate four movies or four songs? Like... It just seems like a play at a certain audience. Like, are they going to get a younger Will Ferrell fans to watch the Oscars because Husavik was nominated for best song Grey, from a movie that Greyhound nobody saw? nominated for best sound instead of oh Tenet. God. Yeah, it's just that that's the stuff that aggravates me. And and look, we'll we'll have plenty more time to gripe about these while we're watching the Oscars because that'll be post fixies and the important awards will be over. So it'll all just sort of be for a laugh. Um, but I don't know. I, I was less aggravated with like my initial once over. I thought like, okay, like these are, there's nothing overly really surprising here. Like, so maybe that's just, you know, a safe way to go. And look, they, you know, there's a lot of, uh, black actors nominated. There's a lot of movies with, that, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah and uh, Nomadland, obviously directed by Chloe Zhao and Minari, so those people of Asian descent. I think that's, you know, there's some good representation here, which the Oscars really needed, and maybe that we should just take that for what it is and be happy about that. Um, okay, well, let me just say, I mean, Lee, you're going to disagree with me here, but I, don't, I mean, I just think that I really do not understand the love that promising young woman is getting i just like it's got a best director nomination i thought that movie was a complete mess from a directorial standpoint i i liked promising young woman but you guys heard the you guys heard why what i had to say like it's there's a lot of problems with the making of that movie like it is not necessarily a well-written script it's not a well-directed movie it's i just liked it and that happens but it doesn't deserve the amount of nominations that it got I noticed that, so I'm, I'm assuming they're they're not counting any of the small acts as no. Those are yeah, those not, are all TV for some reason. So, Which so, I don't understand why that was. Those those were categorized as, as TV. I guess because they were released episodically, like one one per week. Um, yeah. So I guess those are, and because that's out, you know, like, uh, you know, cert, certain other movies can sort of take over i guess uh, i don't know yeah small axe films which are on amazon prime will be part of the fixies, fixies for sure people are interested in watching those yeah um, and i totally agree with you chapin on uh, promising young woman it, it just shouldn't be that should be replaced with first cow everywhere it's nominated yeah i would agree with that i i don't i i don't get it like that the you know <clears throat> sometimes i think yeah, I mean, sometimes the thematics of a movie <clears throat> take over the actual uh, competency of the film. 
Yeah. And I think that's an example. Yes, I think that's true. Um, we got how, how many how many nominations for your guys' acting troupe? Oh, oh I didn't count that out. I didn't. I, got, I, I, have, that. I have one at least. My troupe wasn't. Uh, I don't think any of my guys were in a movie this year. I Jesse Plemons was in like six movies and didn't get nominated. So out. Who was on? Who was in my? I had um, Paul Giamatti. I don't. I mean, he was probably in like eleven movies this year, but I didn't see any of them. I don't remember. They were all commercials. Troop. Yeah. Well, he's been working on billions too, so um, he's been getting it. That's, that's a long, long lease you gave Showtime for him. <laughs> I know. Idris Elba. He's he's uh he's in a movie actually that comes out pretty soon on Netflix that I uh, lent him out for. He wanted to do a western. Uh, maybe we'll watch that. Maybe we'll watch that soon. So of of all these uh, movies nominated, how are you guys? I mean, Lee, you've probably seen most every one except for The Father, right? Because it hasn't come out. That's the case for all of us. We've all seen every yeah, movie except The Father. No, yeah, and the, and then there, like was, some of the... there was other ones. Uh, oh, the one that's basically to me the... Uh, the Judy Garland movie of this year, the United States versus Billy Holiday. Oh, I thought you were just talking about best picture nominations. No, I'm just saying nominees. That yeah, one's, so that one's Andre day. Um, I'll probably watch that. I'll probably watch it too, but yeah. Um, you know, I've heard mixed things that like, she's actually really good in that movie, but I heard the same thing about Renee Zellweger last year. So, um, so yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen what else. Some of these ones further down the list. Um, we're going to obviously watch The Father uh, when that comes out in a couple weeks. I think it's going to come to VOD in a couple weeks. The editor for The Father is Yorgos Lamprinos. Not the same guy. He just wow. spelled his Academy Award consideration paperwork yeah. wrong. <laughs> um, Mulan, I didn't see the Pinocchio movie with Roberto, the second Roberto Benini Pinocchio movie. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> What They've is made that? two, right? That, that is existed. another one, right? Yeah, so he made one like after Life is Beautiful that was terrible. And he like wrote and directed that one. He's <clears> just <throat> in this one. He plays Geppetto. But this was this is directed by Matteo Garone, which is the hour movie, so it's fixie uh, season, kids. Fun. We gotta get done. We gotta get, we gotta squeeze movies in here. So we gotta we gotta watch the fixies. Uh all right, so thanks for listening. Oh. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.